Greetings, Seamheads, and welcome into the latest installment of the 20th and Blake podcast, a Colorado Rockies-centric podcast powered by My Life Sports. I'm your host, Anilo Piro, back at it with the latest installment of this podcast, looking to keep you Rockies fans updated with the news and notes surrounding the club all throughout this 162-game trek that is a Major League Baseball season. If you're a fan of my work, be sure to give me a follow on social media. You guys can follow me on Twitter at Media by AP and on Instagram at avp.media. Really appreciate it when you guys give me a follow on those platforms and interact with me and whatnot, um, as it really just helps me enhance my abilities as a reporter. So if you guys are a fan, um, if you want to talk sports, all that good stuff, be sure to follow me on those sites as well. Be sure to check us out on milehighsports.com and all you know all over My High Sports. We have the website, the magazine, and the radio station, all of which are just phenomenal local sports coverage. Uh, if you call yourself a tried-and-true, dedicated Colorado, Colorado sports fan, you should definitely stay up to date with all that we have going on at Mile High Sports. Um, the magazine is a local version of Sports Illustrated. You can find that at King Supers all across the front range from Fort Collins to Castle Rock. Um, the radio station, AM 1340 FM 104.7. The whole crew broadcasting live from Broncos training camp there this week, so uh, be sure to stay up to date with them. And then obviously online at MyLifeSports.com where you can read about all of your local teams, uh, the Rockies, the Avalanche, the Nuggets, the Broncos, all that good stuff. So uh, check us out on that platform. Uh, a lot of interesting stuff going on at the moment here in Rockies land. They have not been playing the best baseball, just uh, finished up a really poor homestand in which they only won two games. Um, so not great stuff from them at the moment. They're looking to try to turn things around here now as they're set to begin an 11-day road trip with a series against the New York Yankees starting this uh, this evening. Um, but yeah, just to recap the road, the, the homestand here real quick out of the break. Um, they did manage to salvage the series against Cincinnati, winning two of three, but then proceeded to get swept by the San Francisco Giants. So uh, not great stuff from the Rockies as they uh, continue to trickle down this season. So currently sitting with a record of 46-50. and 50. Um, Interestingly enough, this is not going to be a typical 20th of Blake podcast. I actually have a guest that I want to get to a guest interview, Mark Feinsend. He is the executive reporter over at MLB.com. And for those of you that don't know, if you're not a tried and true baseball fan, fan mariano rivera is being inducted into the major league baseball hall of fame this uh this weekend which just so happens to be the weekend that the rockies are playing the yankees in new york um mark did a fantastic four-part podcast series on the life and career of Mariano Rivera. Um, so I was fortunate enough to have him on this podcast to talk about Mo Rivera's legacy as well as some Colorado Rockies baseball. So I'm gonna get that I'm gonna get to that here in a second. Uh, and that's gonna take up a bulk of this podcast. But uh just a couple of notes here before we get started. Like I said, um, Rockies set to begin a massive, a season-long 11-day road trip um, here, starting off with this three-game series against the Yankees, followed by a trip to Washington to play the Nationals, and rounding that out with a trip to Cincinnati to face off against the Cincinnati Reds before coming home to a series against Los Angeles Dodgers. So this is a very, very critical point in the season for the Rockies. Obviously, they're uh, treading below the Mendoza line right now. you know, anytime you're sub 500, that's not good. But anytime you know you're multiple games below that mark, it's it's really just not great baseball. Um, and obviously, with the trade deadline approaching here, July 31st, um, you know this next spurt of games is really going to dictate whether this team decides to buy or sell here at the trade deadline. So that's going to be really interesting. But um, I'm going to have my recaps and all my features and all that good stuff, as well as Luke's work, um, up on MileHighSports.com. So be sure to check us out over there. 
I actually just wrote a really uh, a long-form opinion piece talking about what's left for the Rockies to accomplish this season. That is up. If you want to check that out as well, be sure to do that at milehighsports.com. But I'm going to get to this interview with Mark. Hope you guys enjoy it. Decided to uh, branch out from the normal Rocky spiel today and uh, try to give you guys some baseball history, being that Mariano Rivera is the greatest closer of all time, and he's being enshrined in Cooperstown this weekend. So I'm going to get to Mark. Uh, you guys listen up and enjoy, and I'll talk to you soon. Alrighty, and as promised on the line, I have Mark Feinsand, executive reporter at MLB.com. He did a full account, four-part series on the life of Mariano Rivera, um, a fantastic podcast. I was listening to it on my drive into the studio this afternoon, um, and I mean, Mo Rivera for me was, you know, one of the greatest pitchers I've seen in my lifetime. I grew up watching Mo Rivera. Unfortunately for myself, I grew up a New York Met fan, um, so I saw him just rip apart the New York Yankees left and right. But uh, Mark, how are you doing? today, my man. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, no worries, man. So uh, just some background here on this. Uh, how did you get into this story? And uh, what, what, like, you know, now looking back on it, um, what's your feeling towards it now that he's about to be, you know, be in uh, baseball's enshrinement? Well, you know, we launched the Full Account Podcast earlier this year. My colleague Anthony Kasherwitz did a big six-episode arc on the 2009 draft. Um, and obviously, you know, Mike Trout and Arenado and a bunch of other guys, which was really excellent. Uh, so the idea behind the, the project is to sort of take a deep dive into, uh, into some of baseball's better stories. With Mariano going into the Hall of Fame, the first unanimous electee, uh, it seemed like a natural fit to sort of take a deep dive into his life and his career. And, uh, you know, Mo was very gracious. He gave us more than 90 minutes to sit down interview with him. Uh, and we really dug in from everything from his, you know, his, his youth in Panama and growing up out, uh, out there and sort of, you know, what he envisioned his life was going to be, which was not a baseball player. Um, he thought he was going to be a you know, mechanic or a policeman. Uh, and baseball at the age of 20 kind of fell into his lap where uh, he, got a, he got a tryout after pitching for the first time at the age of 20 uh, for one of his local teams. And uh, the tryout went well. He wasn't a hard thrower. He was throwing 83, 85, and then he topped out at 87. Uh, that's a guy who, you know, in this day and age would never even get a second look. But the Yankee scout who saw him saw something in him. They liked his delivery and sort of the smoothness of his uh, of his mechanics and uh, took a chance on him. $2,000 signing bonus and uh, probably the best $2,000 the Yankees have ever spent. Absolutely. I mean, a historic $2,000 when you look at it for sure. Um, and, and, you know, the interesting thing is I know when he was originally kind of groomed to be a pitcher, you know, he wasn't necessarily groomed to be a closer by any means. We saw him toy around at the starting rotation. We saw him, you know, float around as a setup man there in that 96 series. Um, what were kind of some of the details he shared with you in regards to evolving from, hey, I'm just a thrower to I'm going to become, you know, the closer of the New York Yankees? Well, that was the thing. When he first came to the United States in 1990. Uh, you know, in the low levels of the minors of the Yankees, he said exactly that. He was a thrower. He didn't know how to pitch. He never perceived any coaching. He didn't know how to uh, throw different pitches. He just got up there and sort of threw it all the way he knew how. And once he got to the States and he got uh, some coaching for the first time and he started learning how to throw his pitches, how to, you know, really refine his fastball and everything else, uh, uh, you know, he was, he was going to be a starting pitcher. He was a starter throughout the minor leagues. 1995, his rookie year with the Yankees, he came up and he was a starter. And he had some mixed results. He had a couple of really good starts and some not-so-good starts. Uh, and by the end of that year, he was working out of the bullpen just because that's where they, they needed him. He wasn't in that rotation. The Yankees were you know, going to be a playoff team that year. Uh, and he really thrived out of the bullpen. He had a huge series against Seattle in the 95 division series. Uh, so much so that the, you know, the Yankees said, you know what, this guy might be a better reliever for us. 
And when he came in in 96, he was in the bullpen, but he was a long man. He was, you know, sort of last rung on the bullpen. Uh, and very quickly, within a month or two, Joe Torrey realized what kind of weapon he had, and he became, uh, you know, a huge setup man. He finished third in the Cy Young Bowl that year as a setup man. Uh, the Yankees said John Wetland is their closer. He was a free agent at the end of the year. And uh, in 97, they didn't go out and get another closer. They handed the job to Rivera. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's a roll of the dice that definitely paid off here in hindsight. And obviously a lot of iconic moments that Mo Rivera brought to Yankees fans and, and baseball fans everywhere. But, you know, there's also been some not-so-bright sparks. Uh, obviously that 2001 World Series, we saw him in 97 give up the tying uh, home run to Sandy Alomar. How did you, what did he kind of discuss with you in regards to, you know, taking the highs with the lows and, and really working through some of the struggles throughout his career? Because obviously nobody's perfect, and he did have those mishaps. But at the end of the day, you know, he managed to dig down deep, and he, you know, at the end of it all, he still wound up as the best closer of all time. You know, Mariano always talked about the need to have a short memory in that role. If you blew a save one night, you couldn't let it affect the way you came back the next night, and that was sort of the approach he took. He took that Cleveland loss in '97, uh, Game Seven in '01 against the Diamondbacks, and obviously the two blown saves against Boston in '04, and he tried to learn from them. He tried to you know learn from them to make sure that he didn't make the same mistakes. Again, the next time, he once said something interesting that if it wasn't for the defeats, you wouldn't know how good the wins feel. And so I think, you know, having those very high-profile defeats um, helps him appreciate the wins more. And, uh, you know, he never lost confidence in how good he was. He had a lot of success at that point. And, uh, you know, 97 was maybe the only one where uh, his first year as a closer, he blew three of his first six saves, and there were people wondering whether or not he was closer material, so to speak. And Joe Torrey and the pitching coach, Mel Stottlemyre, pulled him into Joe's office and said, you're our closer, don't worry about it, just go out and do your job. And I think that vote of confidence really helped him uh, in terms of that short memory and being able to put things behind him. Yeah, you know, it, it, he definitely has one of the more interesting career trajectories, you know, just considering his upbringing and whatnot. And, and you kind of talked about it, you know, he thought that he was going to be a policeman maybe, um, doing something in his home country. Um, what were some of the influences regarding baseball for him growing up? Uh, did anyone specifically kind of push him to say, you know, you could do this thing professionally? Not really, because like I said, it didn't happen until he was 20. And as you know, most Latin American prospects get signed at 16, 17 mm-hmm. years old. Uh, and, have been, and if people have had an eye on them, they were 13 or 14. That wasn't the case with Rivera. When he was 19, he was playing Georgetown for his local team. And he had a tryout with the, some scouts. The Yankees were there. And the Yankee scout who would later sign him said, I thought he was a really good shortstop, really athletic, good hands. But he didn't think he'd be able to hit in the big leagues. And they weren't signing position player prospects who they didn't think would hit in the big leagues. So, uh, you know, then he pitched in a game or two the following year. And some teammates of his called that same scout and said, you know, you need to see this guy. He said, who? He said, Mariano Rivera. He said, I saw him last year. He said, he's okay, but he's not, he's not that good. not going to be signed. And they said, no, he's pitching now. So the guy came back, Herb Rayburn, and he uh, liked what he saw, and he signed him. Most, most sort of exposure to big league baseball, you know, there were some, some stars from Panama, not a whole lot of them, Rod Carew, Juan Beringer, some other guys who, who he watched. Um, but he watched mostly, you know, come World Series time, he'd watch. It wasn't like he was sitting at home watching the big leagues, dreaming of being there someday. It wasn't even a dream of his because it was nothing he had ever even considered. So um, I, I can't say there was necessarily uh, somebody who pushed him or somebody who inspired him. He played because he loved the game, and that, that's really what it was in Panama, in making their own equipment uh, and, and you know playing with cardboard boxes and rolls of tape if they had to. Um, so it, being a big league baseball player was nothing he had ever even considered in his life, basically until the point where he 
That's so incredible. And, and, and that's the nice thing, you know, the, the really intriguing side of some of these players that don't come from the States, you know, they have those humble upbringings of that pure love of the game and, you know, it, it eventually leads somewhere. And it seems like that's exactly what happened with Mo Rivera. And you think about maybe Seattle could have closed the book on a championship or two with those teams that they had. You know, there's a lot of interesting ways to look at that dynamic. That's really interesting. You know, and uh, obviously that was not the case. Uh, interesting stuff for sure. You, you, you bring up the cutter, Mark, and, and I'm curious because I do know that there was some hesitation with Mariano in terms of if he thought he could have a viable long, you know, long-term career throwing just one pitch. How did he, you know, work with just the one pitch? Obviously, we know the cutter is his bread and butter. Um, and that was kind of funny, <laughs> no pun intended. Um, but how did he work with that? You know, what was his mindset knowing that he was a one-pitch type, you know, arm? Over the next 15 years, nobody ever figured out how to hit the damn pitch. 
Speaking with Mark Feinsand of MLB.com, executive reporter over there, recapping the life and career of Mariano Rivera throughout his time with the New York Yankees. Um, obviously, you spent a lot of time with him. He's you know a few years removed from the game now. How's he feeling? You know, knowing that he's about to become you know immortalized forever in baseball history. That that's a high honor. Yeah, he's very excited for, for the induction ceremonies, and obviously a lot of entire family up there, and a lot of friends and former teammates. One of his former teammates, Mike Mussina, will be up on the stage with him, um, as well as his old manager Joe Torrey. So he's excited for the whole whole, the whole weekend in Cooperstown. Um, but at the same time, you know, he's a very thoughtful guy, a very humble guy, and as blessed as he's been with this career that he had in the five championships, and the Hall of Fame, and his record, and everything else. He is now looking ahead to what he can do to use his platform going forward. And, you know, he talked to us a lot about, uh, you know, he and his wife and their foundation renovated a 107-year-old church up in New Rochelle, New York, and uh, they're building a learning center for children. So he's looking ahead to the second part of his life and and hoping that it can be more impactful uh, on people and their lives than than the first part was. And when you think about the impact that the first part of his life had, uh, it's a pretty high, you know, pretty big ask. Uh, but certainly, if anybody's going to be able to do it, I think Mariano's that guy. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, like I said, you guys got to be sure to check out his four-part series on the life of Mariano Rivera. Mariano Rivera, full account on Apple uh, Podcasts, all that good stuff. Really good podcasting from Mark. I really love the narrative aspect of it. You know, when I get on a pod, my, when I get on a podcast, I kind of just talk. <laughs> you know, and I listen to your podcast, and you really do a good job of uh, incorporating old sound bites from his games and, and audio. So I really, really suggest. Uh, all of you guys checking it out. Did you have a specific, um, you know, favorite part from this entire process, Mark? I think in the first two episodes, just talking to Mariano about her life in Panama and talking to him about, um, you know, his, his journey through the minor leagues. Uh, those are my favorite conversations, just because you know we covered his whole career. I covered 13 years of his career uh, as a beat writer for the Yankees, and, and you know we've seen the, the highs of the World Series and, and the fake records and all that. We've talked to him about that a bunch. Uh, the year he retired, we revisited his career for all those, all those moments. But you hadn't heard him speak in depth about growing up in Panama and what he had sort of envisioned his future being. And, uh, and then once he gets to the mind, there's the struggles of not knowing English. And uh, he tells a great story about the first flight he took from Panama to Tampa. He, he had a layover in Miami. He'd never flown before. He'd never been to an airport before. And they're saying, oh, go to Gate 52. And he's thinking, oh, what's a gate? I don't even know what they're talking about. Uh, so just hearing him talk about sort of the early days of his life and his career, to me, that was the most interesting stuff because it's not anything you've ever really heard him speak in depth about before. Yeah, that's awesome. And I remember he released, I believe, a biography a few years ago. It may have been an autobiography. Um, and I read that, and I remember he talked about he has like, a tremendous fear of planes, um, talking about his upbringing and all that stuff. And it's always cool to kind of uh, peel back a layer, you know, and talk about more than just baseball. Yeah, that, that book was great. It was called The Closer. Of yep. course, what else would it be called? Uh, it was written with my, my old Daily News colleague, Wayne Coffey. It's a great book. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think just it was ironic, actually, last week uh, at one of the New York airports, they renamed one of the Delta Gates, uh, Gate 42, that renamed it the Mariano Rivera Gate, uh, which I thought was really funny given what he had talked about with not knowing what a gate was. Um, but yeah, he's, uh, you know, he's had a very, uh, a very blessed life and a very fortunate life, and obviously he earned and worked for everything that he's gotten uh, during that life, but uh, it's really nice to see a guy with quality, I'd say more of a quality human than he is a pitcher, and that's, you know, pretty high standards right there, uh, to see him, you know, being honored and, and, and sort of, you know, 
Definitely, definitely. Well, Mark Feinsand, once again, executive reporter at MLB.com. Got a couple Rockies questions for you. You know, as much as I'd love to talk about Mariano Rivera all day, I have to do my due diligence and uh, cover the local team out here in Colorado. Um, you know, we're going to talk about a Yankee at that. Uh, just a question about DJ LeMahieu. Because us here in Colorado, we were spoiled with DJ's performance for, what, four or five years when he was here. Um, before this season, did anybody know who DJ LeMahieu was, let alone how good he could be on the diamond? Yeah, I think people knew who he was. You win a batting title, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna be mentioned a few times. But uh, I think when he, he signed it, people were a little bit puzzled just because you know they had Gilbert Torres at second base and they had, uh, even though Dean Gorius was going to be uh, missing the first half of the season following Tommy John, you know, they had Virgil Whiskey and, and they had uh, some options of what they could do with that infield. They had Miguel Andujar coming off a really successful rookie year at third base. So it seemed like the infield was pretty crowded. And, you know, once Dean came back, there was the thought that obviously he's going to regain that shortstop role. So where are they envisioning LeMahieu? Luke Voigt's playing first. He had a great you know half season for them last year. So some people looked at it and were sort of puzzled of why would they have spent $24 million on him. At the same time, uh, after they signed LeMahieu, I had three separate executives from other teams uh, either text me or during conversations with them say, that's going to wind up being the best free agent signing of this offseason. And, uh, and and they were all sort of sitting there going, I hate that Brian Cashman is as smart as he is because uh, LeMahieu is a really quality player. He obviously was open to the idea of moving around the infield. Obviously, once Andrew Hart got hurt, uh, you know, they needed him a lot more than they, than they envisioned. But, you know, even now that, uh, you know, the, the DB is back, uh, they're finding ways to keep him in the lineup every day, whether it's the first, the second, the third, uh, DH, whatever it may be. And he has just been outstanding. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot of discussion in these parts that he could be a legitimate AL MVP candidate, which I don't think anybody in their right mind would have thought when the Yankees signed him. Yeah, you know, it's crazy. And like I said, he was kind of like a a secret out here in Colorado. Everybody knew that he was a really solid player. And I mean, I I knew he was a solid player as well. But it seems like, you know, now that he's playing on the East Coast in the biggest market in the country, he's finally getting that recognition. Um, It it really is just crazy to see, you know, what a market change could do for a player. Well, especially the fact, I mean, not only that the Yankees, not just a big market, it's the biggest market, but also the fact that the Yankees had all of these injuries in the first few months with Stanton, with Judge, um, and, and everybody else who was hurt, you know, Andrew Marr, and, you know, they just kept winning. And LeMahieu was one of the main reasons that that offense continued to click, uh, because he was just outstanding from the word go. He's been, you know, money in the bank, guys on base and scoring position, uh, I think he's in, what, 450 or somewhere around there, um, and, and, you know, he is really the guy who uh, very quietly just went about putting together this incredible season um, and, and helping the Yankees avoid the, you know, the pitfalls of, of what happens when your, your big guys get hurt. So the fact that it's happening in a big market and happening uh, in a situation where there, most people looked at Judge getting hurt and Sam getting hurt and said, wow, this team's really going to be in trouble. Uh, you know, LeMahieu has been a huge part of the reason why they not only weren't in trouble, but that they've thrived. Yeah, it's been fun to see him take off in New York. Good stuff for him. We'll see what the Yankees end up doing. But, uh, you know, Rockies fans in Colorado, they always get annoyed about how the national media, you know, they don't give the Rockies respect and yada, yada, yada. I'm just curious, um, being, you know, being based in the East Coast like you are, what is, you know, the temperature regarding the Rockies? What, what is the East Coast media, um, you know, the big guys view the Rockies as a franchise? Well, I think the first thing people think of is Coors Field and how that impacts the pitchers and um, you know, I think that that's always one of the first things you talk about when you talk about Colorado and, and, and their you know sort of their overall 
team. Um, but I think people, you know, especially after a couple of postseason appearances in a row, uh, I think people know that, that you know Jeff Bryant is a really good GM, and they really they've got a really good system. They've they've brought up some you know some excellent homegrown players. Uh, you know, guys like Story and Arenado and Blackman, and uh, I, I think I, I think you know look, anybody who's not in a big market likes to complain that. Uh, you know, East Coast bias and nobody pays attention to us. I don't think that's really true. I think, you know, to some extent, yeah, people on East Coast fans may not be able to see the team as much because their games start at 9 o'clock at night out here. Um, but I think people know what kind of team these are and, and the success they've had the last few years. And you know, I think the fact that they're in the, in the division with the Dodgers and the, the massive success that they've had, uh, certainly um, the Dodgers get more attention than, than most other teams in the National League West. But uh, and, you know, now the Giants' big run was over after 14. Um, but I, I think you know people know what what kind of organization the Rockies have. Yeah, no, I think I tend to agree with you. Um, you know, I just I always got to get those questions in whenever I talk to some of the national guys because the fans go crazy about this kind of stuff. But uh, Mark Feinsand, once again, executive reporter at MLB.com, just want to thank you one more time for joining the podcast. Um, where can people find you on social media and read your work? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at FeinSand, F-E-I-N-S-A-N-D. You can read me on MLB.com. Uh, you can find me on MLB Network from time to time. And, uh, of course, full account is the podcast. I also have another podcast called Executive Access, uh, where I sit down with executives around the game. I've had both Jeff Bridges and Zach Rosenthal on there. Um, so if you want to go back and look at those, you can get some, some Rockies, uh, uh, Rockies podcast to listen to as well. Those guys were both fantastic. And uh, one other note on the Mariano thing, we actually dug into the fact that uh, in late 1992, when the Rockies and Marlins were having their expansion draft, the Yankees left Mariano exposed to that draft. Uh, but he was coming off of elbow surgery, and they didn't really think uh, it was going to be a you know real gamble for them to lose him. But there was a chance there for both the Marlins and the Rockies to take Mariano Rivera. Uh, they both passed three players the Yankees lost that year were Carl Everett, Brad Osmith, and uh, Charlie Hayes. Charlie Hayes, of course, was the, the third pick in that expansion draft for the Rockies. So another sort of what if uh, either the Rockies or the Marlins had taken Rivera. Uh, again, history could have been changed there as well. He is Mark Feinsand. Just want to thank you once again, executive reporter at MLB.com. Be sure to check out all of his work, especially his uh, recent stuff on Mariano Rivera. Going to be an exciting one. Thanks again, Mark. Thank you. All righty. That was my sit-down with MLB.com executive reporter Mark Feinsand. Really hope you guys enjoyed that one. I, I, it's definitely um, – the opportunity presented presented itself for me to sit down with Mark and talk about Mariano Rivera, and I just had to jump at it because I feel like you know if you're a fan of the Rockies, you can really consider yourself just a general fan of the game as well. And obviously for what's going to happen this weekend at, Coor- at Cooperstown – I almost said Coors Field. Um, what's going to happen this weekend at Cooperstown is uh, historic, and it, I felt like it, would, uh, it was a really cool opportunity to reflect on the career of Mariano Rivera, who, you know, we may, we may never see someone as dominant as he was uh, in the ninth inning of all games. So thank you guys for listening to the latest installment of the 20th of Blake podcast. If you guys like this kind of off-branch kind of podcasting, you know, not talking specifically just about the Rockies, but also incorporating other elements about the game, be sure to let me know. Um, you guys could follow me again on social media, on Instagram, at media by AP, or, uh, at avp.media and on Twitter at media by AP. Really appreciate it when you guys uh, give me a follow and interact with me on there. But that's going to do it for the latest installment of the 20th and Blake podcast, guys. We'll be back here in a couple of days to update you with all the news and notes surrounding your Colorado Rockies. Until then, have a nice weekend.